Happy second anniversary! Behavioral Health Today dropped its first episodes on April 20th, 2020. To celebrate our second year mark, we're releasing five shows this week, one episode each day. Two will be brand new shows and three will be some of our favorites from the past year. We hope you enjoy them all, both new and old, and we're looking forward to another year of bringing you trending and relevant content in behavioral and mental health. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. In her first guest appearance on Behavioral Health Today, Wendy Bird shared with us the application of EMDR and the treatment of trauma to help patients accelerate the information processing of their traumatic event and develop a more truth-based assessment and understanding of the event and of themselves in it. It was a great show, and if you haven't listened to it, I would highly encourage and recommend you go back and check it out. In that show, we talked about having her back and doing a show around the impact of untreated trauma. Well, Wendy is back with us today. So happy to have her here. Wendy specializes in working with trauma with the incorporation of EMDR woven into the therapeutic process. Wendy is a licensed professional counselor and a marriage and family therapist. She's got over 15 years experience working with adults, children, couples, and families. She's a certified EMDR therapist, an approved consultant, and an EMDR basic training facilitator and has used EMDR since 2008. She's also the president of the board of directors for EMDR International Association, also referred to as EMDRIA. EMDRIA is a nonprofit comprised of more than 10,000 mental health professionals who practice EMDR therapy. She uses a variety of treatment modalities in conjunction with EMDR, including CBT, interpersonal neurobiology, mindfulness, and attachment theory. Currently, Wendy works as a private practitioner in Austin, Texas. Wendy, with that introduction, welcome back. Nice to have you here. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. So great to have you here. You know, as we talk about this topic today, my hope in our show is to convey the truth about trauma. Specifically, I want us to be addressing what we had talked about last time, how trauma and traumatic events can impact us, the effects that we can be left with, how we can recognize the impact of trauma early on. And I really want us to emphasize in a hope-based message the importance of seeking treatment so that once past traumas don't negatively affect those around us in our lives that are important and meaningful to us, nor limit the potential that we can have in our lives post-trauma. So as we start out, Wendy, define trauma for us and explain how trauma stays due to the way that the brain stores a traumatic event. Yeah. You know, I think we talked about this last time a little bit. People think of trauma as this big experience, but I think one of the things that we try to just put out there is that trauma doesn't have to be this huge experience like war or being in an act of terror or something like that. It really is just anything that kind of overwhelms the brain and the body in the moment. So a trauma can range from all of those things that we just talked about, you know, to a bullying incident as you're on the playground or a teacher who shames you. So it's just a wide, wide range of experiences because it's not really just about the experience. It's about what happens to the body during the moment of the experience. So you're talking about what oftentimes gets referred to as kind of big T and little T traumas. The big T would be the, the 9-11s, acts of terror, 
you know, war related things or, you know, car accidents, assaults, et cetera. And those are oftentimes pretty easily identifiable, aren't they? I mean, you can't miss those ones, but then they're the ones that sometimes can be a little more nuanced or subtle, and we may not even see them as really being traumas, nor the impact that they can leave us Whether it can be a parent not responding to one's need. It can be some, you know, a parent being kind of withdrawn, or it can be a bullying on the playground. So there are different times of traumas that we get to be aware of and actually even address in our time today. Yes, that's exactly. I think that's just what people kind of need to realize is because people will discount the smaller things as I should just get over it. That's not, shouldn't be a big deal, but we're just not wired that way. If something hits our body and kind of overwhelms us, then the body remembers. The body is a really smart mechanism. I kind of say, you know, it's built to protect us. (laughs) So if something feels bad and overwhelming, it stores that information in a way that says, remember this, this is important. Don't do it again or avoid it at all cost. When you put it that way, I like the way you framed it. We just can't get over it. The idea that, you know, we think, well, maybe, you know, my dad was just that way. My mom was that way, or the school that I went to was that way. And, you know, no big deal and kind of just kind of tough it out and muscle through it. But what you're saying is that the way that we are created and the way that we're designed, our brain stores those interactions in very unique ways. Little do we know it. Exactly. And they're stored in such a way that the best part of it is it's meant to protect us in the future. The most challenging part of it is it can have some real impact on us if we don't address it. That's right. And the subtle way that it's kind of stored, oftentimes it's not stored necessarily in a cognitive way. It's stored in kind of implicit knowing way. And so it doesn't feel like this thing is having the impact that it's having on us. It doesn't feel like these two things are related. How I'm feeling now when the cold weather comes in, for instance, doesn't have anything to do with that accident that I was in a couple of years ago on that cold, rainy day. The brain doesn't put it together. And so people kind of don't make that connection. That's an important piece because oftentimes one may not even know that their experience actually qualifies for a trauma. All they know is that after that event, they just went on about their lives. Little do they know that they're finding themselves experiencing the residual effects from the trauma that can manifest in a variety of symptoms that indicate and alert us to the reality that actually a a trauma has been experienced, but they don't oftentimes, like you said, pair that together. That's a very real piece, isn't it? It is. I find that people that come into my office don't necessarily know what they might be able to identify some of the things, but they don't put it together oh, this whole story is working in a way that makes sense to what I'm feeling right now. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think part of what we get to do, and I hope we get to do some of that in our time today, in addition to identifying trauma by just naming a variety of incidents that can do it, like you said, the 9-11s, the terror, relational things, we can also help folks recognize that maybe they're experiencing some trauma-related effects by talking about the various areas we'll be talking about today. What we do know is that untreated trauma and its symptoms, they don't diminish on their own. They just don't go away with time or we don't kind of get used to them. They just don't fade. And regardless of the extent, untreated trauma is going to manifest in physical and we know emotional and psychological and social issues. Describe for us some of the common signs and symptoms that we just kind of generally know would be indicators. Let's start there and we'll kind of move into some other areas that can be indicators, but just come with some of the common signs and symptoms of trauma. Yeah. I think, I think people kind of think about trauma as 
PTSD and flashbacks and, you know, nightmares. And anytime I hear a sound, all of a sudden my body's reacting. I'm, you know, diving under the car sort of thing. (laughs) And that is true. That, that is part of, of the trauma response, but there's so many more subtle things that we kind of don't recognize from the emotional tolls, you know, anxiety and depression kinds of things, those broad categories, but also irritability or overfunctioning or trying to control our environment in ways that feel like it will keep us safe. But in all actuality, it's just the body trying to work out how do I stay safe in a world that feels very unpredictable and unsafe to me. So there's that hypervigilance that shows up in all kinds of ways and all the defensiveness that we think about, especially if you think about in families and couples, those topics often that couples know are untouchable topics, for instance, that's often related to traumatic experiences earlier in life. What you're saying here, Wendy, is that while the brain being wired to protect us also may not help us appreciate that we are actually responding in anticipatory ways and in hypervigilant ways. It's actually geared to protect us, but oftentimes the very things that protect us and keep us safe are some of the things that actually interfere unnecessarily and make worse some of the things in our lives. So let's, let's kind of shift just a wee bit here and address maybe the impact of untreated trauma. We know that untreated trauma costs the U.S. an estimated $46.6 billion a year. We know that women are twice as likely as men to experience a trauma. But let's get into some of maybe the more specific areas that get impacted through trauma. Let's start with the person themselves. You began to hint toward it just a moment ago. We know that a number one behavior really that maintains the, the symptoms of trauma is one's avoidance. So talk about how following a trauma, a person is impacted including issues of trust, feeling on edge, being with or being in around others. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up trust because I think one of the fundamental crux of of trauma is learning to not trust yourself. Having worked with traumatic experiences and people who've had those throughout their life, one of the things that they have to relearn how to do is to trust their inner knowing, to trust their own voice. Oftentimes, especially in early childhood with their families, they are kind of taught to discount their own emotions, to discount their own knowing. And so they don't know how to make decisions, for instance. They don't know how to draw boundaries that are healthy for them, that protect them from getting hurt, or even sometimes knowing what they like and what they don't like, because the system is geared towards scan the environment for danger, protect from that danger. And that's the primary way that the person's walking through life. When you start out like that, it's, it's almost the ultimate betrayal of self. Like we, we don't know that we should actually be trusting some things because it gets confused. It's, it's actually a betrayal of ourselves, isn't it? That we can't rely upon some things yeah. that are coming up and to identify them accurately and validly. Exactly. And then that has all sorts of repercussions interpersonally and in relationship because people will kind of feel feel what's going on. You walk in and you're a little bit anxious. Well, the other person doesn't know what's happening, but they feel the anxiety or the fear. All of a sudden that person is not being treated in a way that's that's kind for them because the other person is reacting to some unknown emotional experience that 
the traumatized person doesn't even know they're bringing into the room. That's a sad thing, isn't it? Little does a person know, the one with the untreated trauma, that they're actually behaviorally, relationally impacted by the trauma that kind of has them maybe not being as outgoing or as open, or maybe kind of, you know, reticent to engage. And, and that gets read by the people as, wow, something's going on here. And then they respond, not knowing what it is. And the person with the trauma kind of goes, well, see, people don't like me, or I get to feel uncomfortable. They think that I'm weird. And this whole unnecessary hole goes down, you know, yeah. take someone down into it can be a really vicious cycle and the the impact of the trauma has that person misreading cues. So what most of us would think of as a benign cue, someone who's got trauma is going to read that as danger and they're going to react in a different way. And so that just starts that cycle of going to where they get hurt. They get re-traumatized, rejected, their relationships aren't thriving. Go around just another lap on that. This idea that at its very best, should we have stayed in that environment, the vigilance we would have, the kind of scanning one's environment could actually be a really great survival technique. But unfortunately, when we're out of that environment where the trauma took place or and we're in healthier environments where it's not bound to happen, one is still using the same defense mechanisms, same security operations, little do they know it, that can unnecessarily and do impact negatively their relationships that actually could be corrective and really rewarding for them. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's it, it's this paradoxical situation almost that they find themselves in. And then of course, with trauma comes shame that all of that, there's something wrong with me. I'm doing it wrong. I'm bad. People just automatically reject me. I hear people say I'm cursed. Yes. You know, um, those kinds of things. And I think going back to the biology, the biology is doing what it thinks is going to help. It's scanning for danger because it, it can't catch up kind of developmentally to go, okay, there's no longer danger. The body, the, you know, the stress axis is just constantly going and doesn't know how to shut off. That's right. And, and so the person is kind of trapped. And it gets really scary when you have kind of chronic, the chronic trauma, um, chronic stress, because our body's equipped to deal with something that overwhelms us mm-hmm. and we can move on. A lot of times we, we, we can sort that out. But when there's chronic stress, things like just name calling and chronic yeah. criticism or rejection, that's when we don't, we don't know where the bear is, but we know there's a bear. <laughs> Exactly. So that whole idea of complex or, and kind of the chronic nature of some just makes the whole trauma experience that much more compounded. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new All Access Pass. All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com bht and enter promo code bht15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com slash bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. 
And then later on in life, you start looking at health repercussions. Let's talk about that. So what you're saying there is that our bodies do go through biological changes when under the stress from the trauma. There are biological changes occurring during that traumatic event. And all these things we're talking about, listeners, these are all unconscious. People going through traumas, and if you've gone through a trauma yourself, you may not recognize just how at play a lot of these things are, whether that's one's attitude and some of the things that when he's talking about earlier, our irritability, the way we present those kind of interpersonal things, let alone some of the biological changes that are harder to measure. But when you're leaning into something here, and I want to, I'd like you to say more about it. Our body experiences physiological reactions in response to being triggered and it affects things like our adrenaline you know, levels or our heart. Talk about some of the biological and physiological effects from trauma. Yeah, that kind of trauma cycle starts going and we have all of these chemicals that start coursing through our bodies. And what it does is it keeps the body on high alert. And that's good if you're in danger for a moment because you want to be on high alert. But what it's not good if there's chronic danger, the body doesn't know how to shut that switch off. And over time, it leads to inflammation. It leads to heart problems, gut problems, pain problems. Little kids, for instance, will complain of a stomach ache. A lot of times they don't know how to name the emotion, but if you ask them, how's your tummy? <laughs> They'll tell you their, their stomach hurts all the time. Well, that's a clue of, okay, there's some stress in the environment that is having a big impact. Later on, especially in women, that leads to autoimmune diseases and men heart disease. And so we see in people's 30s and 40s that the repercussions of that stress that's been going on throughout their life. You know, when you highlight it this way, it's really the silent killer, isn't it? You know, the cortisone levels, all the adrenaline levels, all the things you're talking about that get impacted. Again, the very things and the very levels in our body that can keep us safe actually begin to work against us when they're not necessary to protect us. That That's right. And we know kids who've gone through higher adverse childhood experiences, for instance, they have smaller brains. So it's affecting our brain size. It's affecting how our brain fires, what parts of our brain fire, the parts that are hypervigilant, again, scanning for danger and misreading cues. So we become dysregulated, very easy, over-emotional, very easy shows up in relationships, shows up just, you name it, it's there. Yeah. I, I appreciate kind of wetting our whistle here regarding coming up around the interpersonal piece, yeah. both relationships in the family and maybe even some parenting things. But I, I so want our listeners to appreciate that, you know, one says, yeah, I went through a trauma, but little do we know how at work trauma continues to play out in our lives. And we may not see it, but it can really have such a profound effect on us, including our healthcare ways. So how about we talk about the impact of untreated trauma with respect maybe to some behavioral changes that we can experience. And we know that in an effort to cope and to manage the emotional dysregulation that's you know, secondary to trauma, one might use what we might could refer to as kind of escape routes and might even delve into some risky behaviors. What are some of the behavioral indicators that one is attempting to manage a trauma? Things like maybe even use of substances sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I think use of substances is highly correlated to trauma and it makes sense because you can imagine all of that stuff underneath consciousness that's kind of churning and activated. And we don't even know why we just know something doesn't feel good. If I slow down, I don't feel good. Or if 
I can't get off the couch. So substances will kind of put a wet blanket over that emotional pain and physical pain that we're feeling. It will block out some of the memories that come back and get us in a state where we very quickly change the state of the body and the mind. And if you're not feeling good, that's a pretty appealing aspect. You know, this idea, if we're using, we're not feeling and we can say that for a number of things, but for trauma, that is particularly true. And the idea, and, and people aren't even aware why they may be feeling certain things they're feeling. They just know that there's a restlessness or anxiety or some kind of angst that just feels so uncomfortable, so intolerable that I just want it to go away. I want to try and drown it in, 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 in some way, somehow. And what you also said is a great point. A lot of times in those with trauma, they don't want to stop. As yeah. long as they're moving, as long as they're distracted, they don't have to sit with and experience the things that come up when they stop and sleep can really be a scary thing because when we're quiet, we have no inhibitions, our filters come down and all that stuff comes up, doesn't it? It sure does. Yeah. And drugs and alcohol will help with all of that, but so will things like sex and gambling and shopping and irritability. If you're angry, then you don't have to feel those other things because you can just kind of lash out at whoever, whatever made you mad. So there's lots of those secondary defenses that come in to keep that trauma at bay so that it doesn't come up. And like you said, just seep in and overwhelm the person. As we're talking about, you know, what the effects are of the, on the person themselves and, and then how we can see some of these things get experienced physiologically within ourselves and maybe even some of the behavioral indicators. We also know that it affects our families. And as you've shared, untreated trauma leaves us emotionally reactive and unregulated. Share with us how you've seen some family members being the ones that are most affected by loved ones with untreated trauma. Yeah, I think it's the people that we're closest to that's going to feel it the most because yeah. it's those people who are likely going to step on our pain and they're going to get the repercussions of that pain. So they're more likely to trigger us than a person on the street because they're around us all the time. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, whether it's parents feel passing on their own shame or their own insecurities onto their kids, or it's the fear that their children aren't going to be okay. Something bad's going to happen to them. So being overprotective, I mean, that it can show up in, in all sorts of those kinds of ways in relationships. When your spouse makes that face that shows you that they're unhappy, you're off to the races, feeling triggered and become defensive. And that defensiveness can look like high emotional reactivity. It can look like shutting down. You know, the body doesn't have a whole, whole lot of choice. It usually either gets big or small or shuts off. That's really good. You know, as you talk about this and what, what the body does, you've mentioned a couple of times, something I want to circle around a bit. It's this whole construct and experience of shame and shame and guilt are different. You know, shame, guilt is about I, I, something I did, you know, Shame is those things that are happening and these occurrences, it's because of who I am. Shame is such a personal thing. Help us appreciate and give us a little bit more understanding of why shame is such a big part of trauma. You know, I teach people that shame and trauma go hand in hand. They're just best friends. And part of it is when we are in a situation where we're overwhelmed, we're really helpless. Yeah. And 
that sense of being helpless, whether it's someone yelling at us or a big disaster, that sense of helplessness has shame attached to it. And then we kind of put cognitive meaning to it. Why did that happen to me? Or I must have been bad. For little kids, for instance, they're not going to have the developmental capacity to go, oh, mom and dad are fighting or dad is an alcoholic or mom's dealing with this you know, trauma that she had when she was a child. It's just, I'm bad. That's how they make sense of it. If if parents are upset, I'm bad. And maybe if I can do it, be different, they will love me or treat me better or see that I'm good enough or worthy of love and kindness. Bessel van der Kolk talks about children are meant to be adored. and, And when we have too much pain of our own, we can't give that to them. That's really good. I, 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 maybe that's our segue into this next part right here because untreated trauma unconsciously, subconsciously, but very directly impacts parenting. And when you think about parenting, we're talking about it is such a critical and important job and so very underrated, I believe, and, and sometimes not so clearly understood as to all that goes into it, whether it's, you know, our task as parents to, help hold a child's, you know, emotions and personal reactions and help them metabolize that. But we have to metabolize it ourselves first and any reactions that we have come up, we got to hold those and our stuff to be available for the child or to be able to hold that space and do some mirroring, you know, with them in, in very appropriate and very congruent ways. But you're talking about how with trauma, our emotional dysregulation, that irritability, maybe difficulty managing, you know, anger, for example, like you said, that can just work so counter to the very things we need to be bringing to parenting and can really create some trauma in and of itself, can't it? Yes, exactly. What happens is for a lot of our young childhood, our bodies aren't very good at regulating themselves. The baby and toddler and you know, even elementary school children, they really need us to help them learn how to calm their own physiology down. Otherwise it it just gets out of control. But oftentimes what happens is the child becomes upset. And instead of being able to, I kind of teach my parents, you have to go low when your kid's high, but instead of going lower, the parent kind of doubles down and then the child becomes even more dysregulated until their body can't contain and you'll see them crumble. And, and when they're crumbling, then they get picked up and talk, brought to their room and, you know, told to that they're bad or uh, lots of different things. But what we really want to see them do is to take a breath and, yeah. and kind of, like I said, go low, go yeah. slower, talk at a pace that's painfully slow, yes. breathe, make eye contact then the the child's body can slow down and and re-regulate and get back in control. Then you can teach them the lesson, whatever it is. But when they're in that place, if we double down and become more upset, then all they learned was when I'm upset, things in my environment make me more upset and I don't have any control over calming down. Yeah, this is really good. This is such an important piece, folks. It, this idea that when a child is expressing things that children are going to be expressing and need our help in by us joining them, if we are being triggered ourselves because of a trauma, we're not going to be as present as they, as they need us to be. Our, our, our fight or flight 
is going to be triggered in that moment. Our brain is literally going to be lit up by their emotion. And when you talk about doubling down more times than not, well, sometimes that can just be, you know, a parenting technique to kind of just quell and squash whatever's going on. But for those that are traumatized, they can't tolerate that level of, of, of expression in a child. And they, you know, children don't have their frontal, well, we don't have our frontal lobes fully developed to her, you know, in our early twenties. So we are our, our children's frontal lobe for quite a bit of their life, but we can't function in that role if we're being set off in our own fight or flight and we can't be for them what they need us to be rather than being able to discipline, which is doing something for our children, we become punishing, doing something to them, don't we? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, yeah. it's a sad cycle. And from all of my experience as a clinician, I've not met parents who want to pass that on to their children. They do yeah. it without ever recognizing that they're kind of passing on their own stuff. And then if you look back and you get a history generationally, you can just see the long line of however we show up is given to the next generation, the next generation unintentionally. And I think causing a lot of pain for parents, once they kind of recognize, if they recognize they're doing that, it's very hard to square that away. Oh, I, I did what was done to me. So it becomes a secondary trauma sometimes that we have to work through. It really does. You're talking about how trauma begets trauma unknowingly, you know, and little do we know that in our response to these things, we're actually kind of in in our parenting. And this is not about instilling guilt. If someone is parenting from a traumatized past, it's not about that. It's about helping them understand that part of their parenting is naturally going to be impacted and they can be loving their child to death, but just be so frustrated in those moments and not being able to manage it that they become traumatizing in their response sometimes. You also talked about too, how, you know, if one is parenting from a traumatized place, they can also not just be reactive, but they can also be maybe on the other side of the continuum, if you will, where they can be overly protective, limiting, and that can have an effect on the child too, can't it? Yes, the child can learn that, you know, it's not safe to go explore. And part of what we need to do to grow is explore and even get hurt. There is some resiliency that we get with falling down. So we have to let our kiddos explore and know it's safe. I got your back. I'm here, but I'm, I'm confident that you can go learn things. And and even if you fall, you'll be okay. One of the hardest parts about what you're saying right here is that in an attempt to protect so a child doesn't go through what the parent themselves goes through, the parents anticipating something, it actually limits their ability to develop a necessary resilience and to learn that the world is actually a place that's relatively safe enough or that they can get through it with the people they've got in their lives and it doesn't have to be a feared or an avoided place. It can also though, being, you know, when you're talking about being overly sheltering, the other side of kind of trauma and a parent who becomes overly protective, it can limit the child from developing some basic skills, like you said, of, of like independence, emotional muscle, uh, the resiliency piece. Say a little bit more about that part. Well, a lot of times, one or two, one of two things is going to happen. The parent's going to pass on their own fear and anxiety. And right. so that's going to live in the child's body. Something's telling me that I should be careful. So I'm not going to take the risk to speak up. I'm not going to raise yes. my hand. I'm not going to try new things. 
but also it can be overwhelming to the child system. And so the child starts to learn to avoid and shut down and, yeah. and kind of go numb because that parent's overprotective is overwhelming to their body and the body doesn't know what to do. So it just shuts down. And, and you can see both happening when the parent's kind of doing that. You think about the parent who is is always trying to learn, give the lesson of life, right? right. And it becomes this lecture. And the child can't take you, you can't take that kind of intensity at you for so long. So they just dissociate. So they just stare off into space while their brain gets really good at not being present. All of a sudden they dissociate in times where it would be best to be present because the brain's reading cues of here it comes again, this overwhelming kind of intensity. This really is, isn't it? It's, it's the sequelae of untreated trauma. It's the, it's the rippling effect. That gets passed on and gets passed on, uh, not 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 intentionally, mm-hmm. and oftentimes the best of intentions unintentionally trauma begets trauma. It just impacts unnecessarily, and the child begins to develop things themselves to cope that actually are, like you said, the secondary trauma, if you will, uh, the vicarious trauma. Mm-hmm. I kind of use the example of if you're carrying around a lot of unresolved trauma, I don't know how it's going to get passed down. I don't know what that exactly will show up. Maybe it'll be a sock on the floor. Maybe it'll be trying to learn to ride the bike. All of those little lived experiences. I can't predict the story, but I can predict that it will show up and we, we will see the results of it in the child. It will show up on it. It's not, it's not possibly it's just a matter of when yeah when and how when and how and what exactly i was interviewing a guy most recently he says you know we've all got baggage but the thing is is how many bags you have and what's in your bags exactly (laughs) yeah it really is well you know Wendy, my my hope in our show today has been to convey the truth about trauma specifically you know we wanted to address how traumatic events can impact us and the effects that we can be left with that you're articulating so very clearly to us. And some of the signs, in addition just to identifying events, we can talk about some of the signs, the signs we might see within ourselves, the signs we might see physiologically, the signs we might see behaviorally, the signs some we might see within our family systems, or maybe even in our parenting. And while outlining all that we've done today, we want to emphasize again, folks, the impact of untreated trauma, both to one's life and on the lives of those around us. But in doing so, We don't want to paint a disheartening message, but instead, while we're stressing the severe impact of untreated trauma in an attempt to encourage getting it addressed, we want to convey a hope-based message. So we so want to encourage the importance of seeking trauma so one's trauma doesn't negatively affect those in your lives around you, nor limit one's potential in life post-trauma. Wendy, as we begin to kind of wind down for today, I, I would love if, if you could help our listeners have some resources that could be available to them. If they're identifying in any way with the things you've shared with us today or know someone that, that goes through these things, give us some resources to pursue trauma. You know, last time we talked about EMDR, I'm an EMDR therapist, so I'm a huge fan. I think EMDR does a beautiful job of treating trauma, and that gives people a lot of hope. The brain has neuroplasticity. It can change. And so these things are changeable and very treatable. And we come out on the other side far more resilient than we started off. So Imdria is a great 
place to find an EMDR therapist. There's a, a directory on the website. It's emdria.org. You can go to the directory there and find a EMDR therapist in your area. I'm also a big fan of trauma-informed yoga and neurofeedback. There are treatments out there that in conjunction with EMDR, I generally go, hey, let's wrap this in a package. We have the EMDR helping how it's stored physiologically, yoga, helping the body move through neurofeedback, kind of rehabbing the brain, especially if there's been things like drug and alcohol use then we get the whole system kind of working conjunction. I really like that. You know, we've we've got a a guest coming on our show, a colleague of mine actually here where I practice in Hawaii that does the trauma-informed yoga. And I'm really excited to see how she's weaving that into some of the work, like with what you're doing. How about for our listeners that might want to get in touch with you and uh, understand kind of your role and involvement in this? Can they get in touch with you as well? Absolutely. You can go on my website. It's just windybird.com, W-E-N-D-Y-B-Y-R-D.com and contact me through there. I believe I'm in the Andrea directory. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think so. I haven't looked at my profile in a while, but I believe it's still up there. So, so that's another way to, to reach out to me personally. Awesome. Well, Wendy, I I always love having you. I'm so glad you came back today. Thanks for sharing with us today, you know, the multiple ways that traumas can manifest, untreated traumas can manifest in our lives and pointing out, you know, the services that one can seek to address trauma in their life. So thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's been great to have you back. You know, and for those listening, if you have experienced an event in your life that you think might qualify as a trauma, or if you identify with any of the signs and symptoms that Wendy has been covering for us today so thoroughly, consider connecting with a mental health practitioner. You know, you're carrying a pain that you've learned to live with, and you carry it every day. This requires some real strength, more than most can probably even fully appreciate, but you can learn how to let it go. And you can be helped in being able to do so. Don't carry a pain of whose origin you have nothing to do with. Trauma, as Wendy is saying and encouraging, it's so very treatable. And you deserve to be living the life that you were intended and designed to live without the remnants of a trauma that was never meant to be a part of your life. So please consider that. Take a look at the resources she gave us. You can contact uh, those resources through our site as well and on our page. I just want to thank you for listening to us today and being with Wendy and me. And we will look forward to having you join us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.